Father, we just, we're your people, we're gathering, uh, and we join our hearts. May our hearts be like a symphony in agreement for, for one thing, Lord, that is your presence to invade this place. Lord, your presence right now, I, I, Holy Spirit, I open up. I want you to just say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come in power. Now just take a moment and just talk to him. Maybe you, you pray in the spirit. You pray with your spirit language. Or maybe you just want to say a little bit to him. Say, God, thank you. You're so good. Thank you that when, I, when we gather your presence, Lord, not only do you live with me, but you rest upon me. So, Holy Spirit, we say, come. Come on, just let your prayer just rise like incense from your heart. Let, let the spirit of worship, let the love that God has just poured on you just begin to just rise back to him. Say, God, I'm just so in love with you. You're amazing. You're beautiful. You've freed me. You've set me free. You've blessed me. I love you, God. I love you, God. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. Lord, I pray that you would build on a healthy foundation our understanding of you and that our understanding of prayer, worship, and communion and relationship with you would be built on the simplicity of what it was built on in the early church, that you're relational, that you're personal and knowable. So we say, whatever you want to speak to us, we open our hearts would you say that with me? Say, Lord, I, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you just now give God a shout? One more shout of praise. Come on. Mm, hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, bro. It's so beautiful. I could just have you stay up there the whole time. It's wonderful. Well, did you guys have an awesome week or what? Uh, really quick, I want to... Um, you can, you can be seated. Thank you, bro. I want to uh, make sure that you guys know what's happening on the 17th through the 19th. What is happening on the 17th through the 19th? Love Explosion Conference. Do you have any of these cards yet? If you don't, make sure you get them. Uh, matter of fact, now if we could have some of the ushers pass them out. If you don't have any, raise your hand up. Please give them a stack. And here's what we want you to do. If you're planning on attending, it's Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, and then both Sunday morning services are going to be a little different. We're actually having two different speakers that we're hosting. Um, Sunday morning, it'll be Harold Eberly and Jabin Chavez. Um, and then Friday night and Saturday night are two main sessions. And then Saturday morning with Robert Dosti. Um, come. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be life-changing uh, meetings, life-changing encounters with God. Come anticipate uh, just the manifest presence of God to be so thick that I love the way Clara said it when the first time Chris and Clara Reed, our, our Sozo uh, directors and leaders, they, the first time they came here, she said it was like hitting a wall. And at first I'm like, what do you mean hitting a wall? Is that a good thing? She says it was like hitting a wall of God's presence. And it was so thick. So I want you to just pray with us and, uh, you know, just devote your heart to, man, God, we're expecting and we're anticipating some amazing, amazing times uh, for the Love Explosion Conference. Now, hear me. You have to register online because we have limited seating. So 
the sanctuary is almost already full as far as the registration goes. So you need to go online, go today, go to thelovexplosion.net and register you and your spouse, your kids, um, and all of that stuff. It's really simple. You'll see on thelovexplosion.net, there's a, a, a tab there that says registration. So how many are excited about that? Come on, give God a shout of praise. I'm excited about it. Harold Eberly, one of my mentors, he's coming. He's been with this before. And if you haven't heard him teach, just get ready. Um, he is a gifted teacher, prophetic. He's also apostolic in, uh, in the nation of Africa. He has planted over 2,000 churches, Bible colleges in eight different nations in Africa that he turned over to the leadership of Bethel in Reading. And now he's doing uh, major ministry things in Pakistan where he's seen tens of thousands of Muslims coming in to the kingdom of God. Um, Jabin Chavez, who is one of our other speakers, he is uh, the former youth pastor and worship pastor at the Church of South Las Vegas, Pastor Benny Perez. He is a powerhouse. Jabin Chavez is going to bring the word. He, he is a dynamic communicator, uh, and he is endued with power, and he's going to release it um, over your life. And uh, Rob Dosti is new to our house, and we are uh, becoming acquainted with him now. And um, he is a missionary evangelist guy, walks in, I mean, miracles and, and healings in his gatherings and his meetings. So uh, just get excited about that. And I'm just giving you a little, because it's only, how many, how many weeks do we have left? Two weeks? Two weeks left until this. So uh, Friday night, check the schedule out. Make sure you register, because if you show up and there's a registration table and we're full, you won't get a lanyard. A lanyard, a little tag, is going to guarantee you a chair, uh, hopefully guarantee you a chair. Um, we may have to ask people to sit on the floor, like some of our young people or something. But how many of oh, that's fun? That's good. We're going to cram 180 people in here. It'll be full of a bunch of hungry lovers of God, ready to encounter Him, ready to just see something invade uh, this city in a greater way. Um, I'm just, I'm excited about it, as you can tell. So this morning, um, I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to share my heart with you about prayer. One of my favorite subjects. I love prayer. I love kicking down sacred cows of prayer. I love uh, telling people how they should be praying, which one of the ones you've heard me talk about is we're so uh, used to this in church culture, like let us bow for a word of prayer. And everyone closes their eyes and bows their head. But I don't see that in the life of Jesus. See, there's these traditions that we have in the church. But if I look at the, the life of Jesus, it says that he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father. And so it's interesting to me of how much we have adopted in relation to prayer, um, in relation to worship. Now we've been doing a series on the early church. And we've been talking um, and looking at it from the aspect of a family reunion. How many people love family reunions? Come on. Today is Cinco de Mayo. How many love carne asada? How many love to party? Pray for him. How, how, many, of you, how many love barbecue? Come on. I love barbecue. I love soul food. I love ethnic food. I love Thai food. Oh, I could stop. And I could elaborate for about 20 minutes of how much I love Thai food, but I won't. We had some the other night. It was so good and it was spicy, miha. But I want to I communicate to you that the illustration we've been using of family reunion, it's like going to a family reunion. When I used to go to family reunions in my own family, 
I would, I would get to know what my family was like. I, I watched how they talked to each other. I watched that there were similarities between some of the dads and moms and, and the way the children were. And, and I got to know my family. I got to know my uncles and my aunts. And there's something about looking at the early church, looking in the book of Acts, looking at where we came from, where it all started when Jesus made disciples and, and the Holy Spirit comes uh, in Acts chapter 2, the church begins to explode because of the power of God. And the Bible says in Acts 2.42 that the, the disciples in the church, they gave themselves and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now we've done a series where we've talked about all these things. We talked about devotion and worship. We've talked about, if you haven't heard them, go online. You can go to um, EncounterLV.com, go to sermons, listen to them. We've talked about what is the apostles' teaching? What does that mean? Um, what is breaking of bread? What is fellowship? How many have enjoyed this series so far? Raise your hand up. Come on. We've been looking at what's the DNA of the early church? Because I want to know my identity in my family. If I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I, I want the culture of heaven. I don't just want church culture mixed in with other culture. I want the culture of heaven. See, when you go to a family reunion, you learn your culture. See, I think what we miss, even a lot of Americans, we, we don't have that much culture. We don't know where we came from. We don't, and, and it's the same thing in the church. God, like, God wants you to know your culture. God wants you to know. He, he wants to make you, uh, he wants you to be culturized with the dominion of Jesus and the heart of the Father. And so that's what this series is about. And now we're talking about prayer. Now, what does this mean, prayer? I, in order for me to teach you on prayer, in order for me to, I, I could teach you like a, you know, a 10-point sermon on principles of prayer. And I love, uh, I love the subject of prayer. And we could talk about the meaning of prayer and how do we pray and, and you know, uh, all, the, all the theological understandings of prayer. But I think, more importantly, if, if, uh, if I were to teach you on prayer without you having a healthy concept of who God is, it would be useless. See, I would be building on a flawed foundation. And I want to go to the foundation. I want to talk about this morning how you view God. Because sometimes we hear messages or we read the Bible, and we could read a scripture in the Old Testament and where you know, they prayed and and you know God's wrath, or there was judgment, and, and you know it's like we could take a few verses here and there, and, and if that is our concept of God, then it's flawed because the Bible says that that is a shadow of things to come. Jesus is the reality, so Jesus is the best theology that we could have of understanding who God is. Are you guys with me? And I want to talk to you this morning about that because. If I look at Christianity and I look at theology, theology is the study of God. It's your under, everyone has their own theology. You have your own theology right now. You have your own understanding of God. Some of it is because of traditional being raised in church, being raised in a denomination. I was raised Catholic. And, and so as a young man, I had this stoic, uh, reverent you know, understanding of God. Like God knows everything. And like, oh man, if I think anything wrong, I'm going to get struck by lightning and, I, you know, me and my sister would be laughing in the back row in Catholic Church, and I remembered that, and so I stopped, and I said, I don't want to get struck by lightning. And we have all these different concepts of God, and we hear people, Christians, say, well, God is in control, and, and usually it's, it means like, you know, well, you know, something bad just happened, there's a tsunami, God's in control. And, and we say these things without realizing 
the, uh, the conclusions, if we, if we really believe that, then what we're saying is then basically God just killed 400,000 people. And, and we're wondering like, okay, is that really our concept of God? Does God exhaustively control every little thing in our life? Or is that concept based upon maybe something else other than the Scripture, which is our authority and our foundation? So I want to contrast some things to you. If I look at theology, and if I look at what I learned as I got saved when I was 17, God dramatically impacted my life. I went to church once a year maybe. Um, I did a te- regular teenager thing, partying and doing my thing. God just, just crashed into me with His love. I was 17 and I began to go to church and learn about who God was. Now some of what I learned was healthy, but some of what I learned wasn't healthy. And I want to talk about that. I'd like to take just a little time and deconstruct with you. And I want to deconstruct so that we can build on a healthy foundation because you cannot pray effectively, nor fervently, nor with passion, nor relationally because that, is, that should be the foundation of prayer is relationship. Uh, you know, the foundation of everything in Christianity should be relationship. The foundation of discipleship, relationship. The foundation of worship, relationship. See, God is relational. It's the foundation of who He is. He's the most relational person ever because He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Are you all with me? So I'd like to deconstruct a little because I learned stuff like God is impassable. Like, you know, He's immovable. He's outside of this realm, and He's so far out, and He's omniscient. How many have ever heard that one before, right? He knows everything. And I, I wouldn't argue that God, I mean, God knows everything, right? I mean, God is, but the Bible doesn't actually use that term. Or, or this one, God is omnipresent. So we have all the five characteristics of God, the, the imnes and the omnis. He's impassable, immovable. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's holy other. He's like this holy other individual, just different. Now, not holy in the sense of like he's, he's holy, H-O-L-Y, but holy other. He's just someone totally different. Now, uh, I have all these understandings of God taught by theologians, but if I look at the Scripture, it's, it's more of a personal revelation of a person, not so much a sterile description of what we think God is. Now, here's what I want to share with you, that in the Bible, we read these things, or, uh, you know, like in the Old Testament, where God says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. Now, if I was a theologian, I would take that and I would change that into, well, uh, you know, it's because he intervened and he, could, he wants to reveal his glory and, and he's impassable, immovable and omniscient, omnipresent. And it's, it's the sterile attributes of who God is. But I want to just challenge that for a minute and I want to try to simplify it for you by looking at what the Bible teaches and, and show you that in the Old Testament and what God reveals in the New Testament is not only simpler for us, but more of a healthy foundation of who God really is. See, when I read in the Bible that the Lord is my healer, it, it isn't just describing about God, like God heals. How many know God heals? But the Scripture is actually saying the Lord is my healer. Hear me. Has the Lord healed you this morning? I mean, when you, it's one thing to say, oh, by the way, Jesus is the healer. No, He's my healer. See, some of you in here have been set free from hurts. Some of you in here have been healed physically. Raise your hand if you've been healed physically from ailments. Come on, look around the room. Why? Because God is your healer. 
You see, it's personal. You see, if I look at theology and these sterile attributes, it's not personal, it's impersonal. In fact, many early church fathers from about 480 to on actually talked about God in this sterile way that He isn't even moved by suffering. I mean, these are major theologians that impacted Christianity. What happened was they began to move away from a Hebraic understanding of who God is, revealed in the Bible and in Jesus Christ, and they began to merge the, uh, the Greek philosophical view of who the Creator was with the Bible. And it polluted our concept of God. And how many think that we need to stand on what the Bible teaches So I read in the Old Testament, He is the Lord my peace. Now, it doesn't mean that He he just brings peace. How many know God gives us peace? Jesus said in John 14, 27, My peace I give to you. It's not like the world's peace. He says, Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How many are thankful for His peace? But how many are thankful that He he is peace to you? That when you're going through it, that you can say, God, you, you just, you are peace. When I come into your presence, when I spend time with you, when I'm with you, I'm peaceful. Have you ever been around certain people that are just peaceful? And it's not so much that you, it's like, you know, I need to go to their house, but, but you just want to be around them. Like the words they speak and, and their speech and who they are, it just brings peace. It brings comfort. That's who God is. God is your peace, not just peace. Are you hearing me this morning? I think it's so important that we go to the foundation of our concept of God before we even begin to teach on prayer. You know, we could teach on, you know, how we pray in the name of Jesus and, and we pray for certain things and we intercede. And what does that look like? What does that mean? Jesus revolutionized the whole subject. You see, in the Old Testament, I don't read so much that God is impassable, immovable, omniscient, omnipresent, although there are biblical attributes that connect them in one way or another. I don't see that. I see the revelation of who God is, which is He is my healer. He is my peace. He is with me. He's my banner. He's my victory. Come on. It's a totally different concept. Now, when we open up the New Testament, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. We see Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the substance of everything in the Old Testament. In Colossians chapter 2, it says that Jesus is the reality All the old covenant was just a shadow. Now, a shadow is an inaccurate representation of the reality. How many know that? Does a shadow have color? No, it's just an outline. It's gray. It's not as vivid as the real deal. Now, Jesus is the real deal. So we cannot take even doctrine from the Old Testament and think that, and just take one verse and then build this understanding and this concept of God. Like, we can't just read Job and think that, that God is just like that because that's how he was with Job. But I have to take it through the new covenant. I have to take and look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, here's what Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us, first of all, we look at Jesus and we see the Father. We look at Jesus. So if our concept of God doesn't look like Jesus, then we need to go back to Jesus. Hello? You guys remember the story where uh, Joseph and Mary... Uh, they were having a family reunion. You know, they were all hanging out, and they lost Jesus. I mean, can you imagine, first of all, what that was like? They, I mean, they, they knew he was the Savior. I mean, they, the son, they lost the Son of God. I, I've had a couple really scary moments where one time we were at Circus Circus at the Grand Slam Canyon, and 
We're hanging out, and Josiah, little crazy man, my little boy, just disappeared. And for like three minutes, it felt like an eternity. Moms and dads, you know what I'm talking about, right? Hopefully you never felt that or never have to go through it. Where's Josiah? Where's Josiah? Where's Josiah? You don't have them? You don't? Sarah, David, Hannah, where's Josiah? And so we, I grabbed my little girl, Hannah, my youngest girl, and I said, Sarah, she's 13 now. My son's 11. David, I said, you go here, you go look there. And we're looking, and Rochelle, where's my wife? She's nursing the baby. Rochelle was freaking out, dude. She was about ready to just have a breakdown. So we lost my son. It was scary. Now, it was only three minutes. It felt like three hours, but guess where he was? He was over by all the swords. I mean, every little boy, come on, I want a sword, daddy. (laughs) Now, Joseph and Mary are traveling, and they lose Jesus for three days. Three days, right? I mean, think about that for a minute. We got to get back to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. We got to get back to Jesus with our theology. It has to be the foundation. Jesus uh, would teach his disciples, his disciples, show us the Father that you're talking about. Philip's like, there, he tells Philip, Philip, you're looking at him, man. I'm paraphrasing. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what God looks like God heals, God delivers, God saves, God loves, God hangs out with sinners, God eats at the same table with tax collectors and prostitutes. Wait a minute, he's impassable, immovable, this sterile picture of God. That doesn't seem right. God's so holy and just, and he can't touch sin or look upon sin. Maybe we need to go back to Jesus. Maybe sin is not such a big deal. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? We have to live holy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God's heart is right relationship, and then sin becomes the lesser issue. Well, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. I believe that, but I think the priority should be God loves relating to you. And because he loves relating to you, he forgives your sin. That's why he sent Jesus to shed his blood, to reconcile you back to his heart. Are you hearing me? So this is the heartbeat of what I see. We got to get back to Jesus. I think in one way or another, we could apply that, that story of Joseph and Mary like We didn't realize that Jesus was gone. I don't think they realized it. They figured he was with somebody else. The Bible says they thought he was with other company. You know, they went over to one of their cousins. You don't have Jesus? Who is Jesus, you know? Um, I'd like to think in the Old Testament they all had, you know, Jewish accents. Where's Jesus? You know, but they didn't really speak that way. But can you imagine, you know, these Jewish people? Oh, oh, I thought you had him. No. Just trying to add a little drama to that story so it's not so boring. I think we need to get back to the revelation of Jesus. Hear me. Bill Johnson says it this way. Jesus is perfect theology. He loves the sinner and hates the sinner. Jesus lived with them. He ate with them. He loved them. He was moved with compassion for them. Now, when I look in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I see Jesus beginning to reveal his heart. And he came to reveal the heart of the Father. He and the Father are one. He says, don't pray like the Pharisees where they're doing these vain repetitions, you know. And they're actually not even talking to God. It's not relationship. But they're actually talking to the people around them trying to sound holy. Come on, we do that, Christians. You know we do it. Vain repetitions. We'll fill in the blanks because we want to sound like we know how to pray. So we'll be like, Father God, Lord God, show Father God. And, you know, we like to make it sound like it flows and... 
And, and Jesus starts before he gives us the model prayer. How many of you have heard the model prayer? The Lord's Prayer. It's the model prayer. He says, the Father knows what you're going to ask before you ask Him. Now, he wasn't saying he's omniscient. He was saying he knows your heart, so pray from your heart. Hello? And here's what he says. This revolutionized prayer. Here's how you pray. Father, who's in heaven. Father? God being your Father? This was blasphemous to the Pharisees. There was moments where... They took up stones to kill Jesus because he said he was the son of God. This is a big deal. This changes everything. God is a father? Now, I see this. Instead of all the sterile attributes of God, we have to see God is, looks just like Jesus. Say that. He looks just like Jesus. And he's a father. And we see in the life of John the Beloved, the one who rested on the heart of Jesus, the one that he even wrote about himself, the one whom Jesus loved. I mean, he bragged about himself, Jesus loves me. That's how we need to be like John. Jesus loves me. Because God looks at you individually and personally. John the Beloved said, God is love. That's a whole new concept in the New Testament. God is love. That is the reality, the substance of who God is. I see in the New Testament, I see a God who's a father, who loves his people, who the Bible says further on in Matthew 6 that he has every hair on your head numbered. How many know that? How many know that that's easy for some of you, like there's less than others? But when Jesus said that, he was not teaching about the omniscience of God, that God knows everything. You know what he was teaching on? Your value. Have you, but you know that the teaching of omniscience, they use that verse... That's taking it out of context. How many know that's a no-no in Scripture? You don't take Scripture out of context, right? Now, do I believe God knows everything? Yeah, He's God. His knowledge is infinite. We can't even comprehend what He knows, right? But let's read Scripture in context. Jesus was saying the Father, He knows even the birds that die, He loves them. I mean, every little creature, how much more value are you? And then He says, He has every hair on your head numbered. Like God is so personal with you that he has time enough to count every single one of your hairs. Look at it that way. You see, Jesus is revealing this. Then he begins to teach on prayer. And, and then he starts talking about, if you look in Luke chapter 11, which is the same account in the hermeneutics of the Gospels. In Luke 11, he says, hey, if a son asks a father, how many parents do we have in the room? If any son or daughter asks you, he says, if a son asks a father for bread, is the dad going to give him a rock? Or he says, if, if he asks you for an egg, is he going to hand you a scorpion? Here, son. <laughs> and we have the bark scorpions out here. They're like deadly, right? They're bad. Here. <laughs> That's not a funny joke. Jesus is like, no. You're imperfect and you're n- nothing like the, the love that the Father God has, how much more will the Father God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's saying, ask and you receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Jesus begins to paint this whole other picture where we don't have to pray and just hope God will hear us or pray and just wonder if God's 
just out there somewhere. No, he's way nearer than you can even comprehend. As a matter of fact, that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach some sterile attributes of God, but that he's a father. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Come on. He's a husband to the husbandless. He's a lover of the orphans and the widows. God is totally different than some of the theology I learned. I've got to get back to Jesus. I've got, in order for me to pray and worship, if I worship with this wrong concept of God, I'm going to be worshiping wondering if he's mad at me. He's not mad at me. He loves me. He's ravished over me. I read and I see in the life of Jesus, I see... I see a whole different image, and it's so much simpler. I see the story where Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of God, the rule of God. And he says, as he's teaching, the Bible says the little children come, and they're loud. (laughs) You know, you know when us parents were doing stuff important, and the kids are, you know, go play Xbox. Come on, we all do it. I do it too, you know. Go watch a movie. And we want our time, right? Well, the, Jesus, the rabbi, is teaching. And the kids are interrupting the disciples. Children, the rabbi is teaching. Please be silent. Jesus says, no, no, no. Guys, don't forbid them to come to me. He says, this is what the kingdom looks like. And then he embraced them and blessed them. Wow. That is so powerful to me. Like, Like Jesus is saying, you're looking at the Father. This is who, this is what he looks like. He loves sinners. He he heals the brokenhearted. He proclaims liberty to the captives, but he loves kids. And the kingdom looks like family. That moment of Jesus embracing those kids and blessing them, he says, this is what the kingdom looks like. Can you just imagine that? I, he tells a story further on in Luke. You, you just read through Luke 11 and on, Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. This is the heart of God. So when you pray, you don't have to um, imagine some vengeful, wrathful being out there that you're hoping maybe he won't look upon you and frown and judge you. But in Christ, he revealed his love to humanity and his love is refuge for all humanity, the psalm says. Like God's heart is totally open. He bathed the cosmos in his love. And he shed his blood completely till every drop was gone. When they threw the spear in his side, water came out, which meant all the blood drained out. He shed every drop of blood for humanity. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God of Scripture. That is the God that I believe 100% the Bible teaches. Not a sterile image about this creator, but a vivid expression of a father. Like a God that's actually moved by our suffering. You know that there's theologians, I'm going to be closing in a moment, there's theologians that believe that God isn't even moved by suffering because he's impassable. That's one of those attributes. And, And actually one of the Uh, one of the definitions is that he has no need at all. Like, I believe God is independent, right? He's God. How many believe that? But do you know he wants to have a relationship with you? He might not have a need, but he desires interaction with you. That's not the sterile attributes that theology teaches. Let's get back to Jesus. Let's get back to the Bible. How many believe 
that the Bible should be our final authority. Now, not everyone teaches those attributes that I'm talking about. I'm going to close with a verse in Ephesians. But in one way or another, we may not realize how programmed we are with little Christian lingos, phrases, and traditions, and the way we pray, and the way we talk to God. It's, it's like even the concept of prayer for me growing up was like this pleading, oh God, and we had to pray if, if it wasn't long enough. Like when I was little, let me just confess something to you. When I was little, I would pray at night. And I, would, I remember when, when uh, my parents were getting divorced, I was eight years old. I mean, it, I was heartbroken. I would pray, and I would hope God would hear me, and I would pray. And I would repeat, I love you, God, Jesus, Lord, Holy Spirit. I love you, God. I love you, Father. And I would repeat that for like 30 minutes over and over and over, thinking that maybe he'd hear me if I told him that I loved him enough. So that was my concept of God. But when in actuality, God wept with this little eight-year-old boy that was weeping, like God was way closer than I could even comprehend. He's way nearer to you than you can even comprehend. See, he weeps with those who weep. The scripture says, and, and so, so our sterile attributes, let me say this, portray this picture that God exhaustively controls everything. Therefore, when someone dies, it's his will. I don't believe that at all. As a matter of fact, why would Jesus say, pray the Father's will be done if everything is God's will? Hello? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. The prayer Jesus gave was that, God, your will be done. That implies that it's not always done. That means not everything that happens is God's will, but this sterile understanding of God will give you that lie. But the truth will set you free that when somebody weeps with someone else, it's as if the the tears of Jesus are coming out of the, the eyes of that person. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ if my sister is hurting and broken. My wife and I weep with a lot of people, and it hurts when they're, we're praying for their baby and they're sick, and God heals them. But in the moment where they're afraid and the doctors are saying this and that, and we don't understand, or when we're praying for a young girl that, uh, that you know, was on drugs and she develops this thing in her lungs, she, she almost dies and she has a baby, and five death sentences. You know who I'm talking about, Lori. We're five death sentences and we're praying, and we walk in, and we begin to weep. It's the tears of Jesus saying, no, I want my will to be done. And as the people of God, we understand that, and we rise up. And instead of just praying, Lord, please heal, and we say, no, there shall be life and not death. See, there's an enmity that rises up inside of us when we get this. And so my sister's hurting and broken, and I can weep with her, my brother. And I can say, it hurts, but I want to help bear that burden. Because I'm fulfilling the law of Christ according to Galatians chapter 6. This is the God of the Bible. This is why community is so important. That when we're the body of Christ, love looks like the body of Jesus. Who Jesus is in the earth looks like a bunch of people loving each other. Family. Relationship. God's so personal. God's so relational. And he, he literally... Everyone in this room, he knows what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, this guy's crazy. It's okay. I love you. He knows every hair on your head. He is ravished over you. He's not mad at you. Like, this is the image that Jesus came to bring. I want to close with a verse. This is so powerful. Ephesians chapter 2. Are you ready? I'm going to just read from verse 2. It says, you he made alive 
who were dead in trespasses. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. He's speaking past tense. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we are dead, he made us alive in Christ. He says, by grace, you've been saved. He raised us up. He made us sit together in the heavenly places that he might show in the ages to come the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is so powerful. Now, verse 4. I like verse 4 because I believe we understand that God, he made us alive. Uh, he, he, uh, he raised us up together and then we're seated in heavenly places. You know, that changes your prayer life when you know you're seated with him in heaven. Hello? That's a totally different paradigm. So you're not praying and pleading. You're saying, God, you give me authority over sickness. I mean, it, it changes everything. Hello? But I love verse 4, which I'm going to close with. God, it says this. God, who is rich in mercy because of his, his great love, which he loved us. You know that one way uh, it can be translated is God is so exuding love that he had to create you so he had someone to pour it out on. That's who God is. Sometimes I look at people and I just get just a tiny drop of what the Father sees. I move with compassion. I've got my heart breaks. I want to see people strong. I want to see the body of Christ rise up. And my heart breaks for people. I see people that are addicted to drugs. I say, no more. And I see God set people free by the power of God. It's because it's Jesus' will being done through his people. If we just begin to understand who God is, it changes our whole Christianity. It changes our life. No longer do we think like orphans sitting at a table hoping to get some food or wondering and asking permission for this and that. But God is saying, you're a son, you're a daughter. It's time to pray like one. Stand up with me if you would. The message took a little different direction than the first one. Here's what we're going to do. I want to just dismiss you if you want to be dismissed. So we're going to pray. We're going to seal this word. How many enjoyed this message this morning? Come on, we thank God for His Word. Thank you for Your Word. Thank you for the spirit of revelation, Lord. I want you to lift your voice and just begin to pray and thank Him for giving you a a more healthy concept of who He is. You're Father. You look just like Jesus. You're Father. When I see Jesus, I see who You are. And You're love, God. And I thank You for that. Just come on, thank Him right now in Your own words. Just say, thank You, God. Thank You that You love us. Thank You, God, that You... You smile at us. And it just, it changes everything. Now here's what I'm going to do. I, I really feel like this is what we need to do. Um, we just need to, we're going uh, gonna to pray together. And then I want to have just an altar call for people that want prayer, want fire. You want the love of God to just seize your heart and, and just burn for Him. Um, and then those that want to be dismissed, you can be dismissed.